Welcome to the Yams and Yuka podcast where we explore the fabric of black identities through culture, food, art, life experiences and more, sharing the stories of international creatives. I'm Kamara. Hi everyone, I'm Heather and we are your co-hosts. Thank you to those of you coming back to the table and of course, welcome to all of our new listeners. We have a great show planned for you. As always, we're going to start off the meal with our appetizer discussing today's theme. After that, we will bring our guests to the table. So let's jump into it. So for our appetizer today, we're going to talk about today's theme, which is giving a voice to others and making the invisible visible. Mm. It's such an interesting theme and, you know, something that's really important, especially within the arts uh, Mm -hmm. and especially with the arts that we do, because we don't always see the artists that are doing the work, that are putting in the time and so you sometimes need somebody to give you that opportunity to put you out there. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like for me personally, I wouldn't be where I am in my career if others didn't give me a platform um, to voice, you know, my art, my creation, my thoughts, um, and to put me in spaces where I can be seen and heard. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of us and, and myself included there has been a person or people who believe in you and give you that chance, even when you may not have a a vast, what's the word, just a lot of experience performing Mm -hmm. or a lot of experience that other people have seen in the mainstream. So they, they are really giving you a chance, giving you an opportunity and believing in you. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it takes that bit of investment and that bit of encouragement to push an artist forward to make Mm -hmm. them start believing in themselves that they can actually, you know, make a difference or have a perspective to put out there within their craft. Sometimes they need that, that push and that um, uplift to really come into themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It does help with your confidence. And it's kind of one of those things, you know, people say you need experience to do something, but how do you yeah. get experience when you don't have the experience? You mm-hmm. know, one of those vicious circles. So you do always need somebody um, to to give you that kind of self-belief and that, that support. And, you know, in the reverse, that's something that I feel is really important as well. And, you know, with artistry youth dance, Mm -hmm. I feel I'm giving a voice to the young people that come in, you know, they're getting a chance to do their craft dance and maybe do things that they otherwise wouldn't necessarily do. Uh, When we have our end of year show, I'm always really conscious to bring in guest performers so that people can see incredible work that they may not otherwise have seen. Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely going to mention that because the work that you do with the young dancers is incredible and it reaches well beyond their time within the company. Like, you know, I've seen some of our alumni dancers, they're putting themselves out there on social media. They're making, they're starting to make work Mm -hmm. and things of their own. I mean, three of our kids were like the other day, I was like, oh, look at them. They're out there. They they were playing us. (laughs) I was like, well done dancers. And just to see them, you know, take that, that investment and that encouragement that you've given them um, and move it forward is really, that's really why we do what we do. Right. Like that's that's the reason why we have these platforms is so people can feel confident and can feel empowered to go out and make work of their own and continue to do it. So it's really, really important. 
in a way, like, you know, we created this podcast to give voice to others, but also to give voice to ourselves Mm -hmm. so that we can start sharing the things that we talk about and that we experience um, with the world and with people out there to just say what we're doing to, to, to get help in some ways, like maybe, you know, we don't know everything, but we're kind of just putting ourselves out there just to see what comes back to us and how other people might connect with us. So yeah, this platform to me is also a way of making some invisible people more visible. You know, sometimes even despite the amount of things that we've done, I mean, you've been in international companies, you've Mm -hmm. worked with other international organizations, you've done a lot of work. Uh, I myself, you know, I I didn't start yesterday, you know, I've been around for a little while, but still it's sometimes a challenge to just say what you do to put yourself out there to celebrate yourself. So you're absolutely right that even this platform is helping ourselves uh, have a voice and for other people to get to know us who otherwise wouldn't know what we're about or what we're doing. So that's quite important. Yeah, that really is important. And it's about creating a legacy, not just Mm -hmm. for ourselves, but a legacy for the the artists that we um, include in the show, the artists and people who connect with the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just building that that time capsule for future generations to look at look back at and learn from and connect with and create something new and better. Yeah, well. absolutely. Because it is an archive. People talk about having archives and we also talk about how um sometimes black artists don't necessarily archive their work uh, to make it accessible for others. So you're you're right again to say that this this is our archive in motion. You know, it's happening. And I wanted to say something else. You mentioned confidence with our young people. And I haven't told you this story yet, but actually yesterday, one of the young people that we work with, I won't say their name, they came to me. Um, they came to me and they had done a whole plan for artistry youth dance. Mm. They had a plan written about the things that they feel are positive, the things that are work that that work. And then they'd come up with some suggestions of how to improve it and oh, wow. how that could how that could be put into practice. And I was just so blown away because I don't think when they started that they would have had the confidence to first of all put that together to come up with their ideas to 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 feel confident that their ideas are valid and then to present them to me and you know I I thought that was amazing because I'm like yes I I all take those ideas on board you know I don't know everything I need yeah. to get feedback so wow that's incredible yeah so it is just so important and not just not just it doesn't come through just in in work it doesn't come through just in a creative way, it does manifest itself in other areas in people's lives as well. The confidence is so important, how that how people carry themselves in every day and in other areas that might have nothing to do with performing arts. Yeah. You know, it's always going to be important. Yeah. And it's something about when you feel seen and you mm-hmm. feel heard that it just changes the way that you approach life. It changes the, the way that you approach your work and your your creativity. And also when you see others who are walking in that space where you can tell they're they're being seen and they're feeling heard, that also inspires you mm-hmm. to continue continue working to continue creating, um, to think of things in new ways. And, and also when you, you know, it's also about diversifying what's being seen. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? If we're always seeing the same thing all the time, then it just becomes 
monotonous and a monolith. And we don't, you know, it's always about bringing out those new voices, bringing out those young voices, because that's the future. Mm -hmm. And we can all benefit and, and develop just from seeing so many more people and, and changing the landscape of whatever industry or sector or world that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what I would say is I would just always encourage others to, uh, I mean, we talk about kind of putting a hand out or, you know, lifting someone else that's coming up behind you, things like that. Mm. So I would just encourage others or listeners to just keep on doing that if you're doing it. And whenever you have the chance to give someone a platform, to give someone a voice, to give someone an opportunity to to, um, do, do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great place to start Mm -hmm. for our conversation today. So we're going to take a quick little break. And when we come back, we will welcome our guests to the table. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's time to introduce our guest. We have Paulette Brooks here with us today. But before she comes to the virtual table, I'll share a little bit about her. Paulette Brooks is the founder, CEO, and artistic director of Serendipity, the diversity-led arts organization in Leicester. An experienced and highly respected senior manager and producer, Paulette has been at the forefront of the development of Black arts in the UK. She was marketing manager at the NIA Center in Manchester in the 90s, artistic director of People Center in Leicester, and chief executive of Rich Mix in London, and as Arts Council Assessor for a number of Black Arts Capital projects. As Founder, CEO, and Artistic Director of Serendipity, Paulette has established an annual dance festival in Leicester since 2011, Let's Dance International Frontiers, and coordinates Black History Month for the city. Large-scale projects also include Ballare to Dance and Follow the Light for the 2012 Cultural Olympiad. Paulette has edited a number of publications, most recently Reflections, Irrepressible Voices of Black British Cultural Resilience, Black Ink, and My Voice, My Practice, Black Dance, 2020. Paulette is currently a member of Arts Council England's Area Council and and Associate Lecturer at Falmouth University. Paulette was a finalist for the 2009 National Regeneration and Renewals Award for Cultural Leadership and BME Leader of the Year at East Midlands Women Awards 2018. Let's welcome Paulette to the Yams and Yuka table. Welcome, Paulette. Wow. Hi, how are you all? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. By listening to your bio, it's like you're literally holding holding the arts together with everything that you've done. It's amazing. Thank you. I, I always refer to myself as a piece of walking history um, because I've been so proactively involved in uh, a number of the Black Arts Centres that uh, we've had over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, for the industry, we're definitely grateful for that. So we would like to learn a bit more about you, Paulette. And I, first of all, would love to know what is a significant memory growing up that really shaped who you are today? 
I think a significant memory for me is, I don't know what it's like these days, but um, at the point where you leave school to go to college to decide what you want to do for your A-levels, um, we used to get called into our headmaster and you'd get called into headmaster with your parent to discuss what you want to do. And in that discussion, it was just said to me that I would be, you know, I could be a nursery nurse or work in a shop or do any of these sorts of jobs that was not my aspiration I wanted to work in the arts and I remember saying to the headmaster that I, this is what I wanted to do and him just totally ignoring me and then me looking at my mother and saying mum why are we sitting here can we just go um my mum just said yes and off we went and we went into town because I'm a Mancunian from Manchester and went to the careers office and uh, she sat and we sat and we waited all day till we eventually got someone to see who then got me on a course that I wanted to. And it was just my mum's belief in me of, of being able to do that you can do what you want to do. And, you know, I could follow my dreams. I think it's really, really important because a lot of my friends didn't have that, that sort of support. And I just feel privileged that I've had my mum as my backbone um, in terms of that support. Yeah. That's that's great. It's so important. Um, it makes a real difference when you do have that support, especially within your family and especially within the arts and even more so as a black artist, I would say. Yes, definitely. It is really, really important that we've got that support um, in the home environment to help us, you know, navigate the sort of difficult times that we've got now or what we've always had. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you're from Manchester. However, Serendipity is based in Leicester. You've worked in London and everything that you do is involves international arts. So where do you consider home? I have a complex life when it comes to home. Uh, my heart will always be that of a Mancunian. That's where I was born. That was where I was raised. And that's where all my family is bar me. Um, but I live in Cornwall um, for the majority of the time. And um, But the offices are in Leicester, which is like my second home. Um, Leicester's where I went as an undergrad. And I've just had a good relationship with the city since the 80s. But because we work internationally, and we've always been working internationally from the get go for the last 10 years it's not been a barrier not being located in in the same city and I and I feel that a lot of people are paying catch-up in terms of how we've had to operate over the last 10 years in terms of using you know well it was Skype was the main platform then using Skype and telephone conversations in order to produce the work that we've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. And now everybody is trying to kind of bring that international sense into uh, everything that they do when you've been doing that all along. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just the way that we have worked. And so um, we've continued that practice. So we've not you've not had to be wedded to a location. But, you know, um, if you ask me, where's but the home home? It's Cornwall um, um, uh, and, and work happens in lots of different places and spaces. Mm, can you talk about some of those um, places and spaces that you work? Is it just primarily in Leicester in the UK? Um, well, I'm working with um, Annabelle Gururat, um, who I went to Martinique last year, um, and she runs a festival called FIAP, which is an international um, arts festival. And again, I'm going to be working with Annabelle, who's going to put the third edition of FIAP out in um, 2022. She's going to move it from November, um, uh, which should have, been, should have been November 21, but it's going to be February 22, given um, the circumstances. And it's like where dance, live art, and 
and um, sort of heritage all combined in terms of the work mm-hmm. that they do. So um, can continue to work with um, Annabelle. Just recently, IABD set up an international network, which is the International Association of Blacks in Dance. So I'm a, a member of that. I'm going to be working with them. Um, also worked with CARICOM over the time uh, and CARICOM which is like the United Federation of Caribbean um, um, uh, uh, Island. So I work with them and they have Carrie Festa. Um, so I've done some work with Carrie Festa as well. But m- my work is very, very much international as in diaspora and continue to work where that takes me in terms of where black people are all over the world in terms of um, making those networks and those connections and um, making sure that I offer a voice and uh, sort of raising that voice up and punctuating the landscape a little bit more so it's more reflective of of, um, uh, the sort of broader and other communities. Mm, Excellent. And going back to that connection with home, um, you know, food is a big part of home and how people experience it. So can you tell us what's your favorite food um, from home? Well, because my heritage is Caribbean, I love stewed peas. Uh, So stewed Mm. peas is my favorite. If I can have stewed peas, I'd have them for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I especially (laughs) love when I can have stewed peas when I'm out in Jamaica. It's the the best because I'm one of six. I'm from a large family. Um, I, I always make Christmas cakes with my mum, which I'll not be doing this year. And um, we probably make on average around about 20, 20 Christmas cakes. Wow. Um, and we give them out as presents to different people who don't have them. So not making traditional Caribbean Christmas cake where we've been soaking the fruit forever is um, something that... Um, you know, when you make it for a smaller family, it's not the same. And, you know, yeah. mum, uh, we just used to make so many, um, you know, by the time she'd given one to all the boys and then there's the neighbours and then there's other people that don't park, bake. So Christmas cake, Christmas time and, and baking and, and that time in the kitchen with my mum. You're going to have to add us to your Christmas cake list, Paulette, from next week. But I'm just saying that, Heather, you know, I I might be speaking on behalf of both of us. So, you know. Oh, no, that's fine. No, listen, I was going to jump in there and make a request. I was going to say, where do I put in my order? (laughs) Listen, we can can give you your 20. You can give you someone to make some cakes for now if you need a little motivation. (laughs) That's it. And as for the stewed um, peas, I just had to jump in there because that is... um, that's my mum's favourite. That is yeah. definitely my mum's favourite. She she would have that anytime we go to Jamaica. That's the first thing she tries to seek I'm out. I'm telling you, stewed peas is the thing. Uh, I, mean, mm. I was really privileged that, um, I don't know those that know Lantoinette Steins, but Lantoinette Steins and I, we were with Jean Binterbreeze and we all went for breakfast in Jamaica and I just sat there in heaven. I had Jean Binterbreeze uh, reciting a new poem to me in Lantoinette and I'm eating stewed peas. I mean, hello, you can't get better than that. Uh, mm. It was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've heard you mention in, in conversations, you know, when we've seen each other at different events, a bit about your, your heritage and your background. But for those of our listeners who don't really know your background, can you kind of share that? What what are your, your Caribbean roots? And, and- 
Well, my mum, my mum is Jamaican, and my dad's Kittishan, and St Kitts is eight hundred miles by sea between um, Jamaica and St Kitts because most people get it all confused, and mm. you know, and so you have to look at the geography of the Caribbean. And so my parents would probably have not got together in the Caribbean, but they did in the UK. So it's an unusual mix, apparently. Um, um, but you know, I, I don't say I don't think it's that unusual in the UK because we had to have a coming together of of the different sort of islands. So, yeah, mum's Jamaican, dad's Kittishan, um, and we were born in Manchester. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And you kind of shared with us some of your memories around some some stewed peas. So I don't have to ask you, but do you have any special memories about making, you know, those Christmas cakes with your with your mom and with your family that you want to share with us? Well, well, one year my mum made a cake or oh, cakes for my brother. And um, she also made cakes for his friend, Albert. But Albert didn't get round to my brother's house in time. So by the time Albert got there, the cake was gone. Mm. <laughs> so she had to, so, so we had to do some more cakes for Albert. <laughs> my brother had just, he's just like, he says, Albert, if you don't get here, it will be gone, you know. Um, sorry. <laughs> and so Albert came like a couple of days later and the cake was gone. <laughs> I, I bet Albert, Albert was never late again after that. He wasn't late, no. <laughs> Well, listen, like Kamara said, we, you know, we can put in some orders if you if you feel like <laughs> getting some Christmas cakes together. We, you know, we've learned a bit about some of your background, but um, can you tell us what uh, inspired you to create Serendipity? Um, Serendipity came out going to see work in Nottingham um, and seen a performance in Nottingham not liking the sight lines, not liking the expense, taking my daughter and then thinking, well, why had it not happened in Leicester? And in those days, we still lived in Leicester. And then just reflecting on the fact that Leicester used to have a dance festival. So deciding to look at all those factors and the things that um, irritated me, uh, going to a, a performance and say, well, let's let's see if we can, you know, um, put the festival, a dance festival back in Leicester. And so um, with a lot of support from lots of people because we started the festival on a grant from the Arts Council of something like 9,600 and did the first festival on that budget with support of friends. And it has just grown over, over the years. Yeah, it's such an amazing festival. I've had the chance to go to Leicester a couple of times and there's really you know, there's not a lot like it with the diversity of the program that you put together. I'm sure it's it's not without its challenges. So what challenges have you faced working in the in the performing arts industry, specifically as a black artist and also as your work showcases black artists as well? I think the main thing that I want to do in terms of showcasing the challenges is about having a voice and making sure that I give people a voice. And so that's been really, really important. And so I, I think it's not just about the performance. It's also about legacy and creating that history and putting a marker down because, you know, there's so many people that have gone before. I'm not um, creating anything new, but we don't necessarily know all these voices. We've not heard these stories. They're, they're not on the curriculum. They're not the voices that you hear every day. But yet they're some of the most inspirational people ever. So for me, it's been really, really important to give that platform, to give that voice and to create that opportunity and to think about, to not worry about legacy and say, why hasn't nobody left anything for me? But what is my role? What is my responsibility? What am I doing? And to make sure that I'm part of um, 
making change, leaving something behind and putting all these voices out there and just changing the landscape. It's really, really important to change a landscape. And so, you know, when you most of the times we put the festival out, you know, both um, black and white artists have not heard of half the artists that we bring forward. But yet in their own country or abroad, these people are at the top of the tree. And so every year you feel with some of the performers that we bring forward that we're starting the marketing and the education from scratch and that's really really hard when you're building a new audience every single time because people have never heard of these people they don't know their work you know um they don't know their history they don't know their contributions um but i still think it is critical and so um it's about building up the archive which we've now got continuing with the publications that we do we've got a fabulous podcast series out at the moment called Black Manifesto uh, with Nora Chipamere. And I think these things are really, really important about giving people a voice um, and making um, the invisible visible because we are visible, but we're invisible simultaneously. But it's making sure that we are remain visible and remain part of the cultural landscape. Yeah, that's yeah, that... so important. Um, sorry, Heather, go on. No, I was going to say that's really important. And I wanted to point out um, something that you said about showcasing those people who are not in the curriculum. I think that's really, really key, especially for those young Black artists, those young Black dancers who are coming up and learning and trying to find those resources because they can't find them. They don't always have those examples of those artists in, who you know, teaching them even in, in the spaces. So for them to get that much information and have that network for them to look at and learn from that's that's really really important yeah we've just got our books on cortex who do deliver all the ebooks or or where most universities get books for um their courses and we're just trying to change the publications and the things that they do and they try to get key text for these dance courses because you know the voices that we're saying are critical to be on the curriculum um if you want to study dance you know and just to shift the narrative a little bit more so that we look at other techniques because other techniques exist to think that black dance doesn't have technique there's so many different techniques out there there's so many different voices there's so many things that we need to consider and it's not part of that so you know um if you say what the challenge is, the challenge is for people to recognise the work that we're doing, acknowledge it, and just to open up the ground a little bit more so we can get this information out and help to nurture, build, inspire young people, you know, who are, are looking for something that they may not find in some of the um, dance practices that we, uh, we've we got, which are the dominant ones. They may find it in some of the other ones that have not had um, the same sort of airplay. Yeah, it's so important, and especially what you said about curriculum, and despite um, the the breadth of work that is available in the African diaspora and black black artists, uh, it's still something that's being discussed. And it's, you know, this year, it's been a, a conversation that has come up again in 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 colleges and in schools and places where they study dance. So what do you think the future is there in the curriculum and in changing the curriculum and having these voices included in the curriculum? 
Well, we've just started some work with the National Education Union. So we've just done, for Key Stage 4, a Black History Month um, education pack. We're about to do a Key Stage 1 for them as well um, uh, for Black History Month. Um, and we're also going to be starting in the in the new year an online course on um, Black arts and culture, uh, specifically from an arts perspective, because I think it's really, really important. So we're, we're pushing things out there and, and opening up opportunities where we're going to make sure that we, where possible we get everything accredited so people can use the information that we that we've got and it can help them and be valuable in in terms of the courses and that people go on but i think um we're just going to continue to champion and push the work out there i mean you know we've got something like 11 publications out now we've got 102 different voices of artists in in our publications so can you imagine that across the diaspora and and the the, the knowledge bank that is there now and the information and that's not including our latest publication if we include the latest publication something like it goes up to like almost 120 voices you know um talking about their practice that's a lot of information and just trying to get that information into the hands of um researchers dancers students academics just getting it into the right places where you'd normally find that information getting people to um, invest and um in in terms of that education and that knowledge because i think the work that we're putting out there i don't think anybody else is doing it even when we go abroad internationally uh, we can see that the volume of publications that we've got um, and the range of voices no one else is doing that and we are really really keen to say that we're looking at diaspora mm -hmm. so it's not just having africa versus the caribbean not mm -hmm. just having african-american you know not you know we are looking at diaspora um in terms of having those different voices because i think we're we're you know it's really really important to show that interconnectivity as well and so um we just keep on pushing i think um uh it's up to us to start making the change that we want to see even though um uh, it's not immediate, you know, um, where it's taken us 10 years to get to this point, you know, um, and we've only just scratched the surface. Yeah, but it's still such important work, especially the curriculum um, and considering how uh, the artists that you feature and, and as you said, the diaspora of, of black dance is, is quite, it's kind of the foundation of, of all dance really. Um, and it's not something that's been covered enough. So it's really positive to hear about the work that you're doing in the curriculum. And I just want to ask you as well, just before we started um, this recording, you actually mentioned about the role of the industry coming together. Could you tell me a bit more about your thoughts on that, about the collective role that we have? I think it's time that we work together. I think it's time that we had our, you know, we've got our invisible networks and we've got our invisible colleagues and people that we work with. But actually, we just need to come together now and have a united voice and work together and support each other. You know, and it's not about competition. It's about you know complimenting each other it, it is never a competition you know we're all striving for the same thing so we need to understand that you know if someone else is doing something it complements it adds to it empowers it doesn't take anything away and so I feel that we need to work more and more together yeah absolutely and especially at this time where you know we're all in a space of uncertainty and 
there's so many things changing, you know, obviously with the pandemic and with um, so many people being in sort of difficult economic spaces, this is the time to figure out, okay, how can we work together to make, to make bigger things happen? Um, and also before this, you know, we briefly kind of talked about how things have changed. And um, you mentioned that with the pandemic that you, you've been working harder, you've been doing more. Tell me, what do you think, what, what will be the future of international touring and programming? Well, the one, the pandemic's not forever. You know, yeah. the pandemic will uh, it will run its course, and then we will slowly, you know, move to what we feel is a new normality. I think the bigger issues that we've got um, the pandemic is issues around Brexit and mobility, and visas, and um, and the cost of that, and and how do we look at that, and how do we manage that because they're becoming more and more expensive, and how we can afford for people to to come over to produce work. Uh, People are still going to want to work. They're still going to want to do things. We're going to look at. have to look at how we do that. There's always going to be. My passion is in live, and yes, we're, we're working with, um, you know, technology, and it's not going away. So technology is now part of the delivery of the work that we do. Using technology creatively is part of what we do. But the live is where you get that wow moment. You get where it lifts your your feelings and your heart. And so we still need to look at that. I think what we're going to have to look at is how do we look at the, the new borders that keep going up? On the 1st of um, January, Brexit kicks in. Right now, we still haven't got a solution for that or we've not made any, any deals. But what we do know is visas start to come in even more and visas change and for me the, the countries that I've always worked with are always the ones that have struggled in the first place you know so they've never been the easiest countries to say oh I'm going to bring 14 people from Jamaica to England with people not mm. thinking or you know going through customs or customs not being an easy transition you know or bringing people from the states it's still not always that easy so c- customs and um, and uh, immigration and visas um, are going to be the things that we're going to need to continue to look at and navigate and build bigger budgets and look. So we're going to have to go for quality over quantity um, because that's where a lot of the money is going to go. And also, whilst we're not coming through the pandemic, we're going to have to think of what does quarantine mean with that. Right, because quarantining, um, especially if they have to do it on both sides of their travel, that has huge cost implications um, and timeline implications just based on, you know, what you're trying to achieve within a festival. And even for that company or those artists themselves, like if they have other projects that they need to do, you know, those extra two, three and then four weeks, if they're quarantining on both sides, it's it's huge impact to the amount of work they can even do within you know, a touring season or um, and, a period. And, and that's the thing, we're, we're currently in the middle of mapping that all out. We've got our programme set. It is an international programme for next year. And yeah. we're just mapping that out and we're looking at, as we've had to do every year, what are going to be the, the, the borders in terms of the visas? Who, what countries do we need to negotiate with? You know, how easy it is to pack to travel? What passports do people have? We ask them, have they got more than six months left on their passport? Is this a country that's got a good relationship with the UK or is mm-hmm. it one way it's fraught we do this every single year in terms of looking at and we've just got to interrogate it even more yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. And do you feel any difference in how you're programming or does this still feel like normal territory for you? It's not normal territory because we're having to think about how we do next year and and, and largely because of um, quarantine. So we're doing next year slightly differently. We're not going for as many. um, We're going for solos and duets, not for full on companies because 15 people quarantine uh, would just break the bank. but with a view that we're hoping in 2022, we already know the company that we want for 2022. We're already in negotiations. So 2022, hopefully we go back to bigger companies. But we've got a lot of individuals um, who are mm-hmm. uh, in terms of high profile artists as ever. But it is very international still. Uh, we've not just gone um, for the easy option. Paulette, what do you think then it's going to have? An, how do you think it will have an impact on funding if everything's going to cost more are you going to have increased oh that's what i'm saying it's quality over quantity so we're going to have to do less but you know but just go for the quality things because you're not going to be able to afford everything there is only so much funds that we're all going to get out of the arts council there is only so much funding that we're going to get from our key stakeholders and also we're not necessarily going to get the audiences that we want because we're everyone's building audiences from scratch so we need to say it is probably better to put on one uh, good quality event than try to put on you know six or seven events that you might have been able to do in the past you know so it's better to go through that and offer something of the of the highest quality um you know where people can access look at how you're able to deliver it are you able to deliver it both in the physical and in the virtual um and also archive which is what we always do um look at what you're doing with that program in terms of the package of it so you get that you maximize in terms of your money you get your money's worth from that package because if you did four events you're now doing one right because because the visas if are so expensive mm-hmm. um, and so we need to we need to look at that but to to think that we can just say to our funders well the visas have doubled in price and we're going to get double the money what we're, we're trying to do is make sure that the sector survives mm-hmm. so we have to look at it, look at it you know um, uh, strategically across the whole of the sector of what we all need to do in order for us to all come through the other end or for the majority to come through the other end because not everyone's going to survive, but we need to aim to, to get a lot of us through the other side. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a, another question because I'm just thinking like, you know, one of the the key features of LDIF or really any of your programs is that there's so many perspectives that come into the spaces. Um, there's so many different artists that are, are being presented and that contributes to the artistic development of the sector and, and how movement language gets to travel internationally and across um you know, different spaces and places within the diaspora. So do you think that now that we're in this space, um, is that going to change? How do you, how do you think that you're going to be able to hold that? We're we're still going for, um, uh, if I think about the the program that we've got, 
I think you'll still get that variety of voice and place and space. Um, I think you'll still get that internationalism mm -hmm. as well. And you'll see new voices coming in. You'll see some um, uh, people that have become part of the serendipity family popping up again. Um, but I think you'll also see some new voices coming in as well. Um, we're still making and having that dialogue. If you think about how, I don't know if you've had the, the privilege to see Black Ink and we were careful with that when we thought we were not going to have a Black History Month in the physical. So what we did with that um, magazine was, yes, it's got um, voices that are UK, but it's got international voices around Black theatre, the visual arts, dance, you name it, it's got all these different voices. But each section had um, either a QR code or access to a podcast so you could actually access the voice, the work as well. So it wasn't just about reading it, but physically seeing mm -hmm. it. So the, 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 the um, Black Ink became um, the programme in your hand. So if you went to the Black Theatre section and if you go on the QR code there, um, you've got these four different entries about 60 years of Black British theatre. But if you go on the QR code, it gives you 100 years in three minutes as a film. Wow. Is that the future then? Um, I don't think it's a future. I think it's part of the future. It's not the only thing. I, I, I reiterate, live is the thing for me. <laughs> and so it's part of that. You know, uh, we've got in the back of that uh, publication, I do a thing called The Interview, and it's with the director of RJC, Kathy Williams. But when you um, um, go onto the QR code there, um, for those that don't know, Kathy was an Olympian. She was our first black um, British Olympic um, gymnast. And you go onto the QR code, or you go onto the QR code there, and it shows her in the Olympics, and then it shows how she segued into becoming the director of RJC. So there's lots of different ways in which you can do things. So if you haven't got the copy or if you haven't understood the magazine, I would look at it because there's lots of different things that you start to get from that. The Black Manifesto, which is um, the Ten Commandments according to ten revolutionary black women, they're all international. Nora and I have pulled that together, and each month we release a different voice, you know, with a, a different view and a different perspective. And it just happens they're all women in dance. Um, again, that's in that you access that through that publication. So there's so many different things that you could access just through that one mm. publication as a way of saying. What if we couldn't physically have gone out during October? How would we have done Black, Black History Month? And, you know, in the middle of it, we've got resilience. So you see some of the artwork from the exhibition. Um, the artwork's on sale on the website. The exhibition's still open. Um, we got um, an extension for another few weeks. And so mm. as, it, as it's placed in the uh, gallery in the university, it's still open now. People are still going to see the work. It was it was brilliant. So there's other ways in which you can reimagine the work whilst we go through this period. Yeah, that's incredible. And just thinking about all of the things that you do is kind of it's a lot of work, but you know it's it's well worth it to try and reimagine. And we are very very hopeful we can get back into that live space because, as you said, like there's nothing like it. But it has been beautiful. I think I think across the board, a lot of people have been digging into their archives because really that's all they can really reach into. And so many I'm seeing so many um, initiatives pop up and new ideas come up where people are just sharing that information we once didn't share, weren't, weren't really thinking about because we've had to re reimagine things. And really that means, you know, going forward, we'll get 
so much more. You know, we'll, we'll think beyond what we've all, you know, we're thinking, we are thinking beyond what we're already doing um, and just bringing so much more to compliments, you know, the live art that we get to see and making sure that it's it's being archived and it's being recorded and it's being shared and it will continue through. It will just be richer for having a greater body of work, which is yep. why I'm saying it's really, really important because we don't normally have that. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to see what work there is, or you go to do something. And someone said something the other day and I said, you know, I never, ever had a black teacher. I've never had a black teacher mm-hmm. through school, nothing. And there's so many people like me who haven't had that. So therefore, you get a particular perspective in terms of your education. I feel my education is rich because it's, um, it was the education at school and the education at home. So mm-hmm. it's the homeschooling that broadened my perspective on things. You know, it's really, really important that, that we do that. So you see the world differently or you realise the richness of your own culture. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's important. It's very, very important. Um, and just looking over like your full body of work and what you're doing and what you have done, do you know what your purpose is and, and what is it? I think my purpose is realistically to make sure that I offer and give people a voice and help to build legacy, you know, so that I'm part of that journey of laying some foundations down for for young people to leave something for them, to give something for them, for them to do much better than I ever did. Um, So to, to give something for them as a starting point. Yeah, excellent. Well, you're definitely giving them a lot <laughs> to, to choose from and to see. Um, so that's that's amazing. What what advice, you know, thinking about our younger selves, what advice would you give your younger self? Patience and listening. <laughs> it's so important to listen. And also, I wouldn't say that I'm patient even now, um, but patience mm-hmm. is really, really important. And to, to seriously listen, really listen, yeah. um, because I, I think we've lost the art of listening. Mm. We've got a short attention span now. It's what I call a Sesame Street attention span. Right. Is there something that you recognize now that you um, could have been more patient with? I just think I think you you don't always see why you couldn't get somewhere. So you don't understand the barriers. You know, we're we're, um, more eloquent about some of the barriers around leadership, diversity, inclusion. We talk about these things more. These things weren't being talked about when I was um, at university or at school. Mm -hmm. You know, these things were those things were there. And you had to find a way to navigate them, you know, and to deal with them, you know, um, that you, we all used to look to the States. And I think black arts or black culture or black British experience is a very different one from an American one. And so the examples that we always got of things to do was always um, African-American. But actually, there's things that are very unique, unique to the UK, you know, listening is really really important and patience in terms of you know um, you know just watching and listening so you understand what's going on before you make a move mm-hmm. yeah I guess that is quite important uh, to learn how to nav- navigate the landscape um, yeah. and so now that you have learned everything that you have learned over the years what would you say your personal or professional mantra is and how has this evolved over time See, I looked at that question and I still haven't come up with an answer. Um, uh, So I'd I'd like to give you this fantastic answer, but um, 
I really haven't come up with a uh, or even thought about what that answer is other than mm-hmm. that I am um, very clear. I've always been clear about what I want to do in terms of having that clarity, having a clear vision, believing that you can go for what you want. I've always been in, empowered, like I said at the beginning. If you want to do something, then you should go for it. You shouldn't uh, let things stand in your way. You just have to work out how you're going to get there so you can um so you can achieve. Um, I still feel very clear, um, very sure. And um, I think confidence is a killer for lots of people because mm-hmm. confidence in a black woman is um, arrogance and it's uppity and all sorts of negative words. Mm-hmm. But confidence, be confident mm-hmm. and be yourself. Yeah, That's what I'd say. Be confident and be yourself. Be proud of who you are, what you look like. Um, confidence and, and pride. Yeah, well, that, they sound like quite good mantras to yeah. me. And I, <laughs> but I would like to ask you. You know, you mentioned about black women and confidence and how it can come across to other people as arrogance. So, where is the line for that, or how do you how do you navigate that? The line is that it's usually not you; it's right. the other. Right. Uh, so that's really clear. <laughs> that goes back to that thing about being confident. Mm-hmm. You know, black women are seen as aggressive. They're seen as arrogant. They're seen as uppity. But who's put these labels on you? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're amongst your peers, it wouldn't be the same thing. Exactly. But you, you usually work in isolation. You usually work in rooms and meetings and spaces that if there's two black people, it's a lot. So if you're then in a room on your own and you are not browbeaten by the subject and you raise your voice to say, I don't mean raise it as loud, but you you open up and you say, blah, 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 blah. Then you're arrogant, you're uppity, you're this, you're that, you're the other. It's someone else has given you those labels. They're not our labels. So we shouldn't own those labels. We should own the label of being confident, own the label of being proud, own the label of being clear. Yeah, that's something that's very important to remember. So I am making notes myself here, Paulette. <laughs> so. if, if you look at what's just happened in the States and the black woman there, um, Kamala, is it Kalara Harris? Yeah, Kamala. Yeah, um, she was quiet at a particular point during those elections. And then she's vocal now. So she, she was very strategic, you know, um, and yet some people already, there's a few people that would already want to start badmouthing her. She hasn't mm-hmm. said enough to badmouth her. Mm-hmm. But it's about all, all of a sudden, you know, we've never had a black woman in that position ever. Ever. Oh. It's such a significant thing, yeah. you know. Um, you know, and again, if you look at another sort of powerful or gracious black woman, Michelle Obama, she mm-hmm. was always confident. She was always um, quiet before she spoke. Yeah. So she was clear. Yeah. It's really important to be confident. Um, and But, you know, there's a quiet, it's almost like a quiet pause before you just go, whatever it is you're going to say. So you take that time for breath. You just take the, if you're not sure, you always count to 10 in your head and then answer. Mm -hmm. Take pause, be confident, be clear in your vision. We're taking it all on board, Paulette. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much, Paulette, for all that you've shared with us. And we do have, before we go with our final questions, we do have a surprise question that we give to all of our guests. (laughs) 
So, (laughs) you know, the title of the show is Yams or Yuka. So let us know which one do you prefer, yams or yuca, and how do you like them cooked? I don't like either. Ah. (laughs) I hate, they're so starchy. I'm really sorry. And, you know, you'd get Saturday soup full of everything, yeah? Yeah. And then I would just like the dumpling and uh, and stuff. But then, you know, you know your mum's put in there the cho-cho, the yam, the this, that, and the other, and the banana, blah, 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 blah. And you know that you've got to eat it. And, you know, you've got to find out where can I stuff it and hide it. Or can I put some in my brother's bowl? Because I know what bits... Can we swap, you know, because you know what bits you like. Um, mm. it's, it's like, you know, no, not, no. not, not, no, no. Um, this is a first. Usually we ask that question, everyone's like, oh yes, and I like this, and I need to cook this. They're like, they go with that, that meal. No, no. Let's go back to stewed peas, yeah, because it's yeah. a no. <laughs> okay, well, forget forget the yams of the yuca because we're going to ask you what was the perfect meal. But instead of that, then tell us what's your perfect meal for to go with stewed peas. You just have it with some plain white rice. It's okay. done. It's just the simplicity of the food. You don't need anything posh. You don't think anything nice. Mm. Just nice and simple. You know, stewed peas, a little bit of plain rice, done. <laughs> all right, you heard I'm it. Really, I'm really simple, yeah. <laughs> That's all I need. You know, it's quite happy with that. I don't need anything posh i don't need to come out with some fancy meal because mm. that's that's it keep it simple that's right. it all right well you know we come and i have been thinking we're going to put together a little recipe book from all of the meals that people have told us and so now we have our outlier here if you don't want to go with the yams or the yuca get you some some stewed peas and some plain white rice absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. and i'm just i'm just wondering how much extra yams your brother had to eat for what you what you spread the load this four of them i've got two okay. i've got two older two younger let's just spread the load right because you know um, the reality is we were all doing the same thing there's only one brother that really liked it so his plate but he's what i call a camel because he's just like he just eats and eats and he never seems to get full yeah um so he's just like and he's stick thin you know but um no i'd spread the load um, keep, keep it fair keep but fair, no favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's good to know. So, um, it, can you please share with us and the listeners? You mentioned about some programming for next year, but what's next for Serendipity, and what can we what can we access? Um, we've um, just about to do a, a session called Read, Watch, Listen. Um, so people can get that on our website where people can get little extracts to give them teasers and tasters to encourage them to support us by buying the publications or listening to podcasts. Um, we'll be going to be doing some work with um, Professor Stephen Small at Berkeley University in California uh, for Black History Month in February. And we've also, um, you'll see the programme come out for LDIF in January um, uh, in terms of what's coming up. And of course, uh, we've got Black Ink, which has a lifespan of nine months. So if you've not already got Black Ink, I would encourage people to get that. Amazing. And how can listeners learn more about you and your work? How can we connect? On all the W's, serendipity-uk.com. 
Thank you. So www.serendipity-uk.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paulette, for sharing your in- insights as what I've termed an international creative leader. We are so looking forward to sharing it with our listeners because, you know, you've just you've just been such a part of the foundation of arts here. So it's, Thank it's you. very exciting to learn more about your journey. Thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation with you both. It's been good fun. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And we can't wait to see everything that Serendipity has coming up online. And of course, when we can get back in the space and see some live art, um, we look forward to when we can join you at the dinner table in real life and have another conversation. So we'll watch yes. the space for that when we can get back <laughs> together and we're not in lockdown and quarantine yes. no yeah no yams or yuka though heather no yeah yeah we won't no. we won't bring yams or yuka we'll, we'll get some peas for that one stew peas definitely yes <laughs> okay lovely thank, to speak to you both same thank you so much paulette thank you. and Cheers. we're now going to take a break and digest everything that paulette has shared with us when we come back it will be time to indulge in a little bit of dessert We are back and it's time for our sweet and savory desserts. We're going to recap those moments in the conversation that gave us a sweet sugar rush or our other more richer moments that are going to stick to our stomach. So for me, my sweet moment was when I asked her um, if she prefers yams or yuca and she was like, <laughs> neither one of those. <laughs> I was like, dang, we've never had that before. It's like, bow, bow, like one of those. <laughs> and then she was like, yeah, you know, when she would have her soups or her stews when she was younger, she would just take all the yams out and give them to her brothers. <laughs> like, uh, makes sense. <laughs> so it looks like we're going to have a little a little addition to our, our recipe book. It's not going to be just yams and yuca recipes. We'll have a little... A little stew pea recipe in there as well. Right. Yams and yuca <laughs> and more or something like and that. More. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Kamara? Um, for me, it was definitely uh, when she was talking about the Christmas cake and she mentioned about mm. the boy, Albert, I believe his name was. Yeah. He didn't come in time to pick up his Christmas cake and so it was eaten. So, you know, there's a lesson to be learned there. When somebody is making their famous Christmas cake and you get told to come and pick it you up, show up, you on show time. up on time. You don't mess around with food. Listen, <laughs> hello, we all know this. Like, we know this. Like, whenever there's like a holiday, some holiday cooking, and you know there's going to be that one thing that you love, <laughs> make sure you're there on time so you can call dibs on what you want. Right. I don't know what Albert was thinking, but, you know, that it, he he must have learned, learned his lesson from that one. So that was that was definitely um, my sweet moment. Yeah, and what about your savory moment? My savory moment was just going back to the beginning, actually, how she how she started the conversation where she was talking about how she went to her career counselor and they were just mm-hmm. suggesting things that were just not that were not um, in line with her her vision, her goals, her interests, and it was her mum who supported her. So that was something that was really savory for me. Um, really meant a lot to me because it's been my mum that's been quite supportive for me uh, all the way through. Mm. And we know in the arts, especially in dance, and especially as as black artists, getting parents' support is is not common. 
Um, no, it's not. So, so that was something that that resonated with me. That just reminded me of you know of the importance. And I do hope that eventually our community can support our young people to take up the arts. Yeah. You know, because it's just as important as any other career. Absolutely, and it can have just as much success in any of the other more traditional um, careers that you know you know, black parents, you typically think of as being successful or providing security. Exactly, exactly. And that's something I'm just so passionate about, um, supporting young people to pursue their dreams and their interests. So yeah, so that was something that stood out for me. So what was your savory moment? My savory moment was when she was speaking about um, black women being labeled as aggressive or, um, difficult or whatever those other negative characteristics are that people try to give us when we are confident and we're sure about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, it was especially when she said, it's not about, you know, it's not about the black woman. It's about them. It's about those people who have created those labels. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the person who's actually being confident and being themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I definitely have not thought about before in in the past about it it not being me because I can easily take it uh, not easily I typically do take it as you know if I get a negative response to like speaking up that it's me that's the problem mm-hmm. I, that's usually the very first thing that I think and then I get over it and I'm like well I don't care what they think right um but I'm I usually put the blame on myself and it's kind of what we what I've been at least conditioned to think and believe mm-hmm. you know based on what you know the white majority says and puts out there in media or in, in their response and how they say and not saying it's only white people who have that response to black women being confident yeah it's other black people as well yeah exactly so. exactly <laughs> it could be yeah it could be any other race or ethnicity that believes that um but yeah we just have to remember that it's those people it's it's the people who are doing the labeling they're the ones with the problem they're the issue not not you. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said at the time, you know, I was taking notes because <laughs> that is, you know, like you said, I've experienced that as well. And you do just do a double, a double kind of thought. Like, did I say something that was wrong? Did was right. what I said inappropriate? And then, like you said, you think on it, and you're like, no, it wasn't inappropriate at all. It yeah. wasn't even, you know, out of line. It was in line with yeah. what we're discussing or or whatever. So. So yeah, it is important to remember that, you know, just for everybody, it's, it's not you, it's them. And then like a little tag to that. So a little, a little supplementary savory dessert to go with that, you know, a little something on the side. I wrote down, um, be confident, be clear and be yourself. So mm-hmm. what she was saying, like she wasn't really sure about what her mantra was at first, when we first gave her that question, that's kind of what she got around to saying is that, you know, she's, that's what she's been in her life is confident. She's had clarity and she's been herself. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to be when, when you're in those moments where, you know, people have adverse responses to you being confident in the space. So yeah, those are my moments. Well, on that note, I think that brings our conversation to an end for today. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please do let us know what your sweet and savory moments were using the hashtag Yams and Yuka. That's right. Don't forget to tag us at Yams and Yuka on Twitter and at Yams and Yuka Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Alternatively, you can email us at Yams and Yuka Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is Yams and Yuka Podcast at gmail.com.
Yes, as always, we want to hear your thoughts on today's conversation. Let's keep the discussion going and please feel free to share your stories as well to add them to our yams and yuca tapestry. We will chat with you guys next time. Bye. Bye.